We thank you, Father, for your incredible love. God, a love that defies our worthiness, a love that defies our merit, but a love that you gave for us just because you love us. A love that we can't earn, a love that we'll never deserve, but a love that has demonstrated on the cross for us, demonstrated your heart and your care for each one of us through Jesus, our Savior. We thank you, Father, for our time together today. We do pray for those, our brothers and sisters, who aren't with us this morning. Just ask your hand of blessing upon them. And for those of us who are here or anybody listening, God, open our hearts to you. Open our minds to you. Fathers, we talked in Sunday school this morning about listening to you. Help us listen as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, and he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staves, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart, and whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this to whom I hear such things? Or who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all they had done. Then he looked, or then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who had need of healing. Now, some of your Bibles, uh, you know how your Bible, like if it's anything like mine, has little headings in it that splits up the various scriptures into different parts. And if your Bible is anything like mine, it actually puts verses 10 and 11 with the feeding of the 5,000 that comes right after that in verses 12 through 17. Um, well, in reality, all of it's connected. Um, we pick places that we're going to stop at mostly for the sake of time. But while 10 and 11 do feed into 12 through 17, 10 and 11 also tie off 1 through 6 with that little blurb about Herod in the middle. So that's why I split it up that way. I hope it makes sense as we go. So last week we studied the accounts of Jesus healing the woman with the issue of blood and then raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. As Luke continues, we get the word then. Then Jesus called the 12 disciples together. And that's where we pick up today with 
Jesus equipping his disciples to send them out to preach the gospel. So we go back to verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag, nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out in, of that city, sorry, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So I kind of titled this kind of, it's not kind of, I actually titled this section, Equipping and Instruction, because Jesus calls them and then he gives them. Um, and so I love this picture, because we cannot do this for ourselves. We don't choose our calling. He chooses for us. Uh, we can pursue our calling, and we can take active steps to pursue our calling and to prepare for our calling, but ultimately we will not be successful unless he gives us the gifts and the grace to pursue our calling. Jesus calls them, then he equips them, and then he instructs them in their calling for the task ahead. So first thing, Jesus calls. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 11, we read this. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice the progression here in 2 Peter. Right? He says, add to your faith. So faith is where we begin, and that is faith for salvation. We add to our faith uh, the, the various things that Peter, by the Holy Spirit, wrote down here for us. We add to our faith virtue. We add to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. What we're talking about is spiritual formation. It's wonderful to get saved, right? I, everybody, if you haven't done it, right, do it. It's the only way to go to heaven. It's to get saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you have to grow. Now, the theory out there is that everybody is formed spiritually, whether you know it or not. Um. Somebody was sharing with us this morning in Sunday school about a person they were talking to uh, who talks about how spiritual they are, you know, and they, they like the crystals and, and, and all the uh, stuff that goes along with that. Um, and they have been spiritually formed, right? It didn't go in a good direction, and if it doesn't change, it's going to have a poor outcome, but... 
they have been spiritually formed, right? Even an atheist has been spiritually formed. And that kind of seems counterintuitive to us because, well, they're an atheist. They don't believe in God. Yes. Well, they don't believe in spiritual things. That's a type of spiritual formation, right? Now, their formation took them away from the truth. The truth can bring them back, of course. But all of us go through some sort of spiritual formation. And as we are formed spiritually, we are then fruitful in those things. And we know from John 15 that it is Jesus as the vine and God as the vine dresser who produces the fruit. We just bear it. So in this process, we can be then assured of our calling. God's invitation to us into the life he has created for us, and we can be sure of our election, which speaks of our salvation. And so I really like this. We are all being spiritually formed. The only difference is, is some people are doing it intentionally, and some people aren't. So you have to think about that. We, uh, you, you know, as you raise your kids, there's a generation, unfortunately, none of, none of the kids that are part of our church, they are all perfect angels. No matter what their parents say, I have never seen any of these kids do anything wrong. Not even once. What's that? Well, they're not my kids. That's why. My kids were problems, but the other ones, they're just perfect. Um, <laughs> if you think about a kid, what happens if you don't teach that child to tell the truth. What's that child going to do? He or she's going to lie. What if as that child gets older, you don't teach that child to not hit other people? What's that child going to do? They're going to hit other people, right? Or they don't teach that child to share. They're going to grow up and be selfish. Everybody is being formed. Now, as parents, we try to be intentional with the way we raise our kids because you don't want your kids to grow up to be violent liars. Anybody? Right? No, I didn't want my kids to grow up to be violent liars. So when your kids hit, you don't you, you give them uh, discipline or a consequence. If they lie, you teach them the difference. If they get older and they lie, then you yell at them and then you have to repent later. But still, am I the only one who's ever done that? Boy, you guys are all much better than me. Um, but you have to be intentional on how you raise your kids so you get a specific outcome. Our spiritual formation is no different. We are all being spiritually formed. As a follower of Christ, if you are not intentionally getting your spiritual formation from things like being in the Word, being in prayer, fasting, meditating, serving, and so forth, you're still being spiritually formed. Just as, peop uh, just as people, normal people in the world, are constantly being formed by the things around them. You look at, look at the generation that has been spiritually and emotionally formed by social media. We are seeing the consequences of that in our nation and in our world today. And I'm not saying social media in and of itself is evil. There's evil stuff on it. But in and of itself, it's not evil. But when you have a young person who's growing up and all of their emotional interaction with other people is in a virtual world, then we can't figure out why when they're in their 20s and 30s and whatnot, they're not emotionally mature. Or you have people 
when you get to the spiritual side of the thing, their, their whole spiritual formation comes from Caleb. There's nothing wrong with Caleb, except for the fact that they only play like eight songs over and over and over again. I'm sorry if anybody from Caleb is listening. Expand your playlist. It's not hard, right? Just, just pick Spotify. Spotify will do it for you. Um, shout out to Spotify. Give me a free month. But it's never going to happen. But we're all being formed by something. The way Peter puts it here is that we should be intentional about how we're being spiritual formed, right? You have faith. That's awesome. Add to your faith virtue. Then add to your virtue knowledge. Then add to your knowledge self-control. And you come to the end of it. And what's the end of that list? Love. The end of that list is love. The ultimate goal of our spiritual formation is to become people who love. And not just, oh yeah, I love my wife and I love my kids and I, I love, you know, pizza. But people who love like Jesus loves. And Jesus loves without condition. And Jesus' love is all the beautiful things we're told about it in 1 Corinthians 13. It's patient and it's kind, so on and so forth. It's really a passage I should have memorized, but I know where it's at. That's his love. His love is sacrificial. His love puts the needs of others ahead of his own. His love serves. That's the goal. We are being formed into the image of our Savior if we're being intentional with our spiritual formation. If we're not being intentional with it, well, we might not get where we want to go. Think of it like a road trip. Now, some people think it's really fun. You know, just get in the car and drive and see where you end up. Good for you. My wife would never let me do that. I actually suggested, what you know what we should do? We should plan a trip to Europe, and we won't book any hotels, and we won't book anything else. We'll just rent a car. I said, and we'll drive, and when we get somewhere and we find a hotel, that's where we'll stop. And let's go do that for like a week. She said, no. I'm like, what do you mean, no? I said, wouldn't that be fun? No, it wouldn't. I'm like, why not? We wouldn't know where we're going or where we're staying. She goes, that's the problem. <laughs> right? I need to know. So she said, well, you know, so if we, we plan it out and we pick all the different hotels and all the different stops so we know where we're going to be, I'm like... Boy, that's just not anywhere near as uh, spontaneous. Um, but I understand that. Because sometimes it is very frightening to go somewhere and not know where you're going. Now think about that with our spiritual formation. The Bible tells us where we're supposed to be going. We are supposed to be conformed by the power of the Spirit and the guidance of the Word, being conformed into the image of our Savior. And if we are, there's going to be evidence of that in our lives. There's going to be fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in and through us. If we're not, there's going to be evidence of that as well. Their specific calling is to preach the gospel and heal the sick. While we are all called to share the love of Christ by sharing the gospel and praying for others, we also all have unique gifts and callings. We cannot compare our calling with others. 
I'll give you... <laughs> so years ago, I used to be really jealous of people who had pastors who had really big churches. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be so neat to preach to, you know, 10,000 people every weekend? I've changed my mind. This is so much... I mean, don't get me wrong. We have some empty seats. It'd be great if they were full. Um, but I love the fact that as I stand here and, and, and share with you the word, I know you. I know your names. For the most part, I know what's going on in your lives, unless you haven't told me. Um, which is fine. I don't need to know everything. Um, but... I, I pray for you guys by name, and, and I, I think about you guys throughout the week, and, um, you know, if I was staring out at a sea of 10,000 faces, I would have no idea what was going on. In a church that big, I probably wouldn't even have close relationships with all of the staff members. We have a church of 10,000 people, you have 200 people on staff, and how do you, most people can't maintain 200 intimate relationships, right? For most of us, two or three is hard enough. So I used to be really jealous. Now, I have a point, I promise. Because there are some people that are uniquely gifted for that type of ministry. And I'll give you an example. I came across a video, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know the guy's name, which is probably good. But he was a preacher. And he started talking about how as a preacher, or as a Christian, you should follow a stripper. I am dead serious. Now, let me get there. He did have a point because he said there's one stripper who stripped off glory to come to earth. And then there's one stripper who stripped off his clothes to hang on the cross. And I'm going, dude, that's a stretch. It's a bad stretch. I mean, but the best part of it was is as he got more and more excited talking about Jesus as a stripper, which that's between him and God to repent over. Not, I'm just sharing that I saw this, as he got more and more excited, the band started to play behind him. And then as the band started to play, there was a DJ on stage that dropped a beat. Pastor started rapping the sermon. You are so welcome that that's not me. <laughs> Everybody has a unique calling. See, I brought it around. I, I had a plan. Everybody has a unique calling. I am so grateful that I am not called to do that. I don't think he is either, but you know, whatever the case. But we all have a unique gifting and calling, and we shouldn't compare that to others. There are people who are gifted in business and entrepreneurship. There's people that are gifted in math and accounting, and there's people who are gifted uh, to be teachers or whatever. And you can never look at somebody else and go, man, well, I wish I could do that. Nah. And my wife is a wonderful example. My wife works with small children. And a couple times in the years that she's worked with small children, I have gone to help her on a few occasions, gotten background checked for the school she worked at, and I would come in and sub for a couple hours and after two hours, I would be like, how do you spend an entire day with these children? Right? I spend all day with my kids. I can spend all day with other people's kids, you know, people that I'm close to and their kids that I love that are perfect and never do anything wrong. You know who you are. But when it's a stranger's kid, and I don't know this kid, 
I don't really like that kid. I don't want to spend nine hours with that kid. I don't know how she does it. She does it with a smile on her face. Right? Unique. Unique gifting and calling. And I don't believe that any one calling is greater than any other because we are all created by God for something specific, which is what Ephesians 2.10 tells us. Whatever our calling, God has specifically equipped us and will further equip us for it. That's point number the next one. Jesus equips. Jesus gave them power and authority to heal and over the demonic. The word power here is the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. And it is the miraculous ability to do a wonderful work. Authority is the word exousia. And it means privilege, capacity, force, freedom, mastery, and delegated influence. Jesus gave his disciples what they needed to do what they were called to do. He gave them the ability to do it, and he gave them the right to do it. And he will always do the same for us. Second Peter 1, 2-4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our Je- and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been which by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Grace and peace, God is giving us everything we need through the knowledge of Him. We gain that knowledge, of course, through His Word. And so God equips us supernaturally by his spirit, gifting us by his word, guiding us and teaching us. And then one of the ways he does this today is through the church. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, we are told that he, speaking of Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Ultimately, it is God who does the equipping But as we are a community of followers of Christ, we can encourage one another, we can support one another, we can bounce ideas off one another, we can test all things and hold fast what is good, which is what 1 Thessalonians tells us to do, but we can do that in community. I know I've told this story before, but when I first felt like God was leading me into ministry, I had people who supported me in that. I had people that gave me the opportunity to preach, to lead Bible studies, or to lead a prayer meeting. And over time, they gave me bigger chances. And then over time, they gave me bigger chances. And one day, after about a year and a half, that pastor finally came to me and he says, yep. He said, I see it in you. Now spend the next, you know, 15 years making a whole lot of mistakes. One day you'll end up in the mountains of Gunnison and things will go okay. (laughs) I know that's kind of funny, but... Is true. Not that I haven't made any mistakes here. Don't take it that way. But just, John, don't, John's laughing. You shut up. <laughs> as far as everybody else knows, I'm doing a good job. You don't have to tell them any different. Um, <laughs> but that's part of what the body of Christ is for. 
is for us to be able to engage in and grow in the purpose for which God has created us together. Whether or not you guys know it, you supporting me and allowing me to do this and praying for me and and all of those things is helping me grow in the things that God is calling me to do. The third thing that happens here is Jesus instructs. He essentially gives them three instructions. Oh my gosh, are we going to get to point two? Somebody put too much in here. The third thing is, is Jesus instructs. And Jesus essentially gives them three instructions. Instruction number one, right? So we, get the, we pick up these instructions in verse three. Take nothing for the journey. When you enter a house, stay there. Whoever will not receive you, shake off the dust. Now, he essentially starts with, don't take anything for the journey. This is an instruction for them to trust in God and to rely on his care for them while they fulfilled their calling. Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That teaching which they had already received, by the way, before they were sent out. They had heard that. So then he says, all right, I told you to trust me for everything, to not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Now, I'm going to send you on a trip. And as you go, don't take anything with you. Just trust me to take care of it. Now, if I ever suggested that to my wife before we went on a trip, so... You'll, you'll, all, you'll all find out about this uh, eventually, but we, we booked a vacation for next year, which we're very excited about. It's the first real vacation we've taken in five years. Um, looking forward to it. We're going to the Bahamas. Yeah, we, uh, we're taking a cruise, right? It's going to be fun. Um, my wife's already got a suitcase with stuff in it. Do you think I'm joking? I'll show it to you. It's under the bed. I'm like, I looked at her. I'm like, what are you? T-? I said, it's... At this point, is five months away. Why are you packing? Well, I'm just putting stuff, you know, that I know I'm going to take. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? We'll leave. we got to be on the plane 5 a.m. on that Monday morning. I'll pack the day before. I will forget something. And who cares? <laughs> right? I, I just, I look at, I'm like, Wow. So God's telling them not to do that. Essentially, see, listen to the word, my wife. Um, I know, it's different circumstances. But he's telling them to trust him. And whenever we step out to do what God is calling us to do, we have to trust him to do it. We have to trust him to take care of us. And I could tell you story after story in the 26 years that we've been married, and I'm sure others could do the same, But of the 26 years that we've been married, time after time, when God provided for us, there's no other explanation. We have literally had months in our marriage, and years ago, um, and I praise God that it was years ago, um, but we literally had months in our marriage where we went, we, we can't pay all the bills, let alone buy groceries or put gas in the car. And somehow, by the grace of God, We would get to the next month, 
And all the bills got paid. And the kids didn't go hungry. And the car kept going forward. And we can't explain it. And so we give God all the glory. His second instruction, he says, find a place to stay and stay there. Uh, in the other Gospels, Jesus adds the, 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 uh, the descriptor, really, that, it, you know, you find a place to stay. If they receive your peace, great. If not, then, then find a different place. But the idea here is be content. Wherever it is you go, wherever it is you stay, be content. You know, don't look for a better house. Right? When, you, when you come into town and, and you're going to stay there, you go, oh, look at those, those people are Christians and they have a big house. We'll eat better there. Right? Let's go try to stay at their house. Or, you know, oh, hey, they got a pool. Let's stay at their house because a pool's, you know, great. Jesus is saying, no, no, don't worry about that. When you find a place to stay, stay there. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Everybody loves verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it takes on a whole different meaning when we put it in context. Not that I speak in regard to need. This is verse 11. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. So when we put that verse in context, doing all things through Christ who strengthens me is really about being content. Being content in who God is for us. Being content in his provision for us. Being content no matter what our situation is. I know. It's a lot easier to say than to actually do. But that's where the strength of Christ comes in. And people like, you know, you put it on your helmet before your football game and that's fine. I'm glad that you are acknowledging God's strength working in you no matter what it is you're doing. But ultimately, in context, it's being content where you're at, which is harder for us than we like to admit. The third instruction is what to do if they are rejected. Now, how many of us have spent our entire lives and have never been rejected? How many of us have never been rejected sharing the gospel? Oh, it's tough, isn't it? And it's what makes us nervous in our, in our culture. Because, oh, well, you know, I want to go talk to so-and-so, but what if they get angry? What if they get belligerent? What if they start cussing me out? What if they won't talk to me anymore? Now, there's some people I know that if they would stop talking to me because I shared the gospel with them more, I'd start buying them Bibles and all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm, it's none of you. I love you all. But he tells them, when you go there, if they reject you, as you leave, shake the dust off your feet. And this was a common practice in their culture that showed, um, oh, I lost my place. Common practice in their culture to show that you were moving on, right? You were done with what you tried to do there. And this was often what the Jewish people would do if they went into a Gentile town as they left as a sign of derision, right? We don't even want the dirt from your town on the bottom of our feet that's how much we dislike you. For our sake, I think Jesus gave us this instruction in Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. So the reality of this is simple. We are called, all of us, no matter what our specific calling and gifting is, 
to share the gospel with people, to share the love of Christ with those around us. Each and every one of us are to do the work of an evangelist, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, teaching them to observe what Jesus has taught us, making disciples, and his promise is that he will be with us to the end of the age. But there's a time. Not when you stop praying. Not when you stop looking for opportunities. But when you stop trying to force it. There's people that I love desperately. That I have been praying for and sharing the gospel with since I first got saved. 26 years ago. They have not come to know Christ. And despite my best efforts... Right? Maybe that's the problem, as it was my effort. But despite all the attempts, despite all the prayer, they have not come to know Christ. And when I bring it up, they get angry. They don't talk to me. They, they want nothing to do with it. We, I, I've literally had people come to visit us while I've been a pastor. And they'll, they'll show up Sunday afternoon and they'll leave the following Saturday. Just so they don't have to come to church. And there's a point where you, you stop. Like I said, you don't stop praying. You don't stop hoping. You don't stop looking for opportunities. But if every time you share the gospel with, you know, Brother Bill or whatever it might be, Brother Bill gets mad at you and doesn't talk to you for six months or cusses you out, okay, take a step back. Stop casting your pearls before swine. Which is not to say that the people you love who don't know Christ are swine, um, that's what he said, not me. And what did the disciples do? In verse 6, so they departed and went. I love it. They departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They departed, going through various places, preaching the gospel and healing. We know from 1 Samuel 15, 22, that obedience is better than outward religious activity in other words sacrifice there are a lot of people who think well i go to church right i'm, I'm a christian so i go to church i put my check in the plate i own all three seasons of the chosen i got a couple great christian t-shirts that i can wear you know I, I got a bumper sticker on my car somebody defaced we have a bumper sticker on our car uh that, that's from the chosen uh that said come and see and somebody stole the E off the word come for come and see. I'm like, what in the world are you hoping to accomplish? I mean, it still says come and see. Just because it's spelled wrong doesn't make a difference. I'm like, why? Anyways, it really bothers me. I'm glad I didn't see it happen. But they get this idea, right? I, well, I, I do all the right things, right? On the outside, don't I do all the right things? The Jewish people had the same attitude. Well, I take my sacrifice to the temple. When I harvest my field, I set aside 10% to give. I'm doing fine, right? And in the midst of that, Saul, because Samuel was taking his time to get there before a battle, Samuel told Saul to wait. Saul didn't wait and made sacrifices. When Samuel gets there, he rebukes Saul for doing this. And Saul's like, well, I made these sacrifices to the Lord. And Samuel replies with, obedience is better 
than sacrifice. He said, God didn't tell you to make sacrifice. He told you to wait. And I think there's times where we can mistake outward religious activity for obedience. And I'm not saying you you shouldn't do the outward religious activity. I'm just saying, don't think that replaces the need to be obedient. Jesus told the Pharisees that you tithe, right? You're, You're mint and you're cumin. But you leave the weightier matters of the law like love and justice undone. He goes, these you should have done without leaving the others undone. Right? We are to be obedient. It doesn't mean we don't go to church. Right? Well, I've been obedient to the Lord this week. Now I can skip church. No. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying you can't skip church. But I think you get the point. Um, but we put it all together. And sometimes what God calls us to do when we're obedient is something we don't want to do. Anybody else? Oh, I've had arguments. I've never won one. Not yet. <laughs> I've had time, I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to do that. Or maybe, or it's not the right time, or I'm not ready, or I don't. And, but obedience is so much better than sacrifice. We know that our obedience is evidence of our love for God and his love at work in us. You can go read John chapter 14, specifically verse 21. And we, of course, don't obey to get saved. However, once we are saved, and as the love And the life of Jesus is formed in us through the work of God's word and his Holy Spirit. We then obey him as a joy. Obedience does not become steps into some sort of legalistic bondage, but steps into the freedom and purpose that are ours in Christ. That's what our obedience becomes. I'm going to give you a couple notes and we're going to stop. <laughs> I thought we'd get there, but it's not going to happen. And that's okay. So one note that I want to make just for your uh, edification, I'm actually going to give you three notes to help edify you on this idea here. One, power, authority, equipping, and so forth, right? All the stuff that we read about, the instructions they were given, the power and authority they were given, was to accomplish God's calling and will not their own, right? We live in a world where people want power, they want authority, they want influence. So that he, I know I'm getting older, and I understand that. But there are people in the world that they are making their living by being internet influencers. They are literally making their living by going online and telling people what they should buy. Fire and brimstone, people. That's what we need because that is, that is I'm sorry, that, that's not a job. <laughs> I, just, I know people are like, oh no, it's legitimate. I, I get it. They're making a legitimate living. They could be doing something else, but um, I don't understand that because I'm old. It's just like my kids will say something. I'm like, I do. I'm sounding like a crotchety old man more and more every day. My, I'll hear one of my kids say something. They'll use some kind of ready, ready, newfangled lingo. I'm a hundred inside. And I'll be like, what? 
What's, what's the one, we, we had this conversation recently, mid. Oh, that's so mid. Mid what? Mid-century? Middle of the day? No, mid means it's, it's not really good, but it's not really bad. You know, it's just mid. Like, why not just say that? Why do you have to say it's mid? They're lazy. Thank you. <laughs> Emil, with all the answers right there. Yeah, they're lazy. I <laughs> right? But I, I hear stuff like that, and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what they're talking about. Now, 10 years ago, I might have tried. Now, I just don't care anymore. I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm not going to talk that way. I refuse. But the point is, it was to get their own will to get God's will done, not their own. And we have to see the same thing in our lives. God has called us. He has gifted us. As his followers, he has empowered us, and he has given us authority, not so we can go about the world trying to make it a better place for us, but so that we can go around the world trying to expand his kingdom. Second thing, I'm going to point out that as they went, it said they preached the word and they healed the sick. Preaching came before healing. The miraculous was used to confirm their preaching of the gospel. And you know that I certainly believe that God can do the miraculous. I have seen it. I have prayed for it. I have experienced it. I would never look at anybody and go, yep, you know, God, God's not in the miracle business anymore. Yes, he is. Now, he may not do things the way we want him to all the time, uh, and that's for a good reason. But I mean, just think about the fact that for the last 41 minutes, you've listened to this message, your brain has processed it, your ears have heard it. How many of you have stopped every three seconds to take a breath? None of us, right? We just keep breathing. Anybody? Right, we just keep breathing. That's a miracle. How many of you ate a donut this morning on the way in? Now, God's going to take that donut and punish you for it later. No, God's going to take that donut and inside your body is going to turn it into energy that you can then use to do something later in the day. How do we live in a biomechanical machine that can produce its own energy based on the fuel we take in? I mean, the fact that you woke up this morning, got out of bed, yeah, maybe something hurt when you did it, but still... It's a miracle. I mean, every day that we have life, it's a miracle. Now, we do see him do supernatural things that go against the laws of nature and physics, which is awesome, and it's fun, and it's great to be a part of it. But faith, believing faith, comes by hearing the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. Miracles are not a basis for faith. God's word is. Miracles and experiences, they can encourage us, they can bolster our faith, but the word must be our foundation, according to Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And the reason I bring this up a lot is because while miracles are awesome, and we can remember them for a long time, right, but it's something that happens and we move on. While experiences are awesome and we can remember them for a long time, our experiences will change. You know what won't change? The Word of God. And that's what Jesus told us. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will by no means pass away. 
And so when our experiences change, we come back to the foundation that is unchangeable. The word of God given to us by the Holy Spirit, which teaches us about Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, who cannot be moved. The last thing, and this is where we'll stop, is that miracles alone do not prove the validity or authenticity of God working in or through a specific person. And I know that's a bit of a bold statement, but this is why I say it. We are warned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light and that he can use deceitful signs and wonders. It'd be real easy to see something really cool happen and go, well, that must be a work of God. But that's why we're told, I mentioned this earlier in 1 Thessalonians, test all things. Hold fast what is good. And that's what brings us back to the immutable nature of God, which translates into the immutable nature of his word. His word does not change. I have no idea how to close because I had two-thirds of the sermon left to go through. But I'll give you this. I wonder if any of the things I had planned would work out. Oh, yeah. Hey, so one of the questions I had. Hey, can you skip down to the questions, love? We're almost there. We're almost there. One more. One more. Number two. Right? Well, number one, of course, works. If anybody listening does not know Christ as Savior, today is the day. Number two, I'll ask, what equipping is God doing in your life? And I think that's a fun question. Um, and how, then, do we respond to that equipping? Right? Is, is he equipping you for, say, a specific vocation? And not necessarily ministry, but maybe he's equipping you for a specific vocation where he's going to give you an opportunity to use the gifts that he's placed in you to expand his kingdom, even if it's not necessarily within the church. That's awesome. Maybe you know what your vocation is, or maybe you're even on the other end of your vocation and you've retired, or it doesn't mean that God doesn't have something left for you to do and that he's not getting you ready to do it. So my, my challenge or my encouragement is look for that. Try to find, if you don't already know, right? Maybe you already know, but if you don't already know, seek the Lord. All right, Father, what's next? What are you preparing me for? What direction do I need to go? And something that I love among many, many things that I love about our Father is when you ask him, you know, the way, way we're instructed to in the Lord's Prayer, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? We got to pray to King Jamesy. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, right? King James says trespasses. So we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Think about some of those requests. Father, I want your will done in my life. I want to see your kingdom work in my life. I want to not only be forgiven, but I want to be able to forgive others. 
You don't think when you ask God for those things, he's going to answer? I know he will. Every single time. Let's pray. Well, Father, we love you. And I thank you that we made it as far as we did. And I pray, though, we are kind of stopping in the middle of this message, that we would take to heart the things that we did listen to today. Father, I pray that you would help us to see where you're at work in our lives, equipping us. That we would see where you're at work in our lives, giving us instructions. And that we would, by your grace, be obedient. So that we can expand your kingdom. So that we can love other people the way you love us. And so that our world can know Christ. I pray that you would lead us and guide us this week, that you would give us opportunities to show that love to the world around us. I pray, Father, for the upcoming Thanksgiving. God, just help us to have a week where we can remember how great you are and all the things that we can be thankful for. I pray that you would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name.